Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Very quickly this morning before I begin, I want to remind you of a couple of things. Two weeks from today is Easter, March the 27th. No services here. Two services at Troop High School, 8.30 and 10.30. We need people to serve and we need you to invite people. So figure out what the Lord wants you to do there and be involved. The second thing is we need you to write encouragement cards if you have not already for our spring break mission trips. Three trips going overseas, 60 plus people going. Guatemala, South Asia, and Zambia, Africa. We have a lot of cards written. We need more. So you say, I, you know, I can't really write 65 cards. Then just write five. One is better than none. So just be involved in that. It's, it's, you have no idea if you've never experienced how joyful it is to receive a card when you're in the mission field from somebody back home that just says, listen, we love you. We're praying for you. We're glad you're there. And then finally, if you're interested in any of our upcoming summer trips in the United States, that's Carpenters for Christ, New York City, or Alaska. If you're interested, there's an interest meeting right after this service. It's about five minutes. It'll be in the missions room directly behind the sanctuary. If you're interested in any of those trips, go and listen to that meeting for just a few minutes today, okay? All right, let me pray for us. We're going to begin. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the chance we have to study your word. Lord, speak clearly to us through the power of the Spirit. May we be transformed, as always, into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37. Last week, we spent some time thinking about our legacy. And we kind of compared the legacy of Jacob and Esau. Esau, who was interested in worldly things and earthly treasures, contrasted against Jacob, who was interested in heavenly rewards, concerned about the things of God. And we kind of made the point scripturally, and we made the point just in our real-world examples and understanding that really the only legacy we can leave is through our family. In a hundred years, nobody's going to remember where you worked. Nobody's going to remember the car that you drove. Nobody's going to remember where you lived. But if you've poured into your family, if you've invested in the people around you, those children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren become your legacy. And so we just encourage you to think through that and allow the Lord to lead you in the way he'd have you to walk. Now today we're going to shift gears a little bit. In fact, we come to kind of an interesting dividing point in our study through the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 37, we've gotten about approximately three-fourths of the way through the book of Genesis. Now, it's interesting now because we've got about 13 chapters left. And in those 13 chapters, about a fourth of the book of Genesis, these chapters are going to focus on a man named Joseph. Now, some of you have heard the story of Joseph. Some of you are familiar with what he went through. Some of you are familiar with what the Lord did through him. But because we're going to spend so much time over the next several weeks thinking about the life of Joseph... I want to give you kind of a big picture approach to who he was before we delve into the specifics of his life. So I'm going to give you kind of four quick big picture facts that you need to know about Joseph before we move forward. This will kind of clue you in on who he was and why he's so significant in the book of Genesis. I've got them on the screen for you. Here's the first truth about Joseph. Joseph is a bridge from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the people of Israel 
in slavery in Egypt. Now, that's a lot. Let me just unpack it for you. Many of you are probably familiar with the story of the Exodus. The people of Israel that are in Egypt, you remember the story of the ten plagues, and Moses goes in, he speaks to the Pharaoh. Pharaoh lets him go. They go into the wilderness and wander for 40 years. Remember the story. But most people can't connect that to what's happening in Genesis. We know about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've been studying those people. What does that have to do with Egypt and the slavery for 400 years? Joseph is that connection. You understand? As we walk through this, you'll understand it over the next several weeks. But Joseph is going to lead the people of Israel from Canaan, from the promised land, into Egypt. And it's through that process they eventually fall into captivity. So he's a bridge. Here's the second truth. Joseph's life is a reminder of divine providence. Joseph's life is a reminder of divine providence. Over and over and over again, we see the hand of the Lord upon Joseph. Even in moments when Joseph didn't know it, even in moments where the people that surrounded him didn't know it, even in his very difficult moments, we see very clearly that the hand of the Lord was upon Joseph. Truth number three. Joseph is a man of integrity. Joseph is a man of integrity. Now, he's going to have some difficult situations in his life. Those of you that are familiar with the story and may have read through the last portion of the book of Genesis understand this truth. But he's going to be faced on a few different occasions with some choices. In fact, on one specific occasion, he's going to be given the opportunity to make a decision that would lead him to a place of sin. And instead of giving in to his earthly lusts, Joseph is going to maintain his integrity. And so I just want to encourage you men especially, that there's a lot to learn from Joseph, but one of the things I think we ought to be learning from him is that no matter what he encountered, no matter the difficulties of his life, regardless of what he was going through, he lived as a man of integrity every moment of every day. Let that be said about us, men. Truth number four, Joseph is going to point us to Christ. Joseph is going to point us to Christ. Now, Joseph is known as a type of Christ. A type is a person who's like Christ that in some way points us to Christ. Now, remember, in the Old Testament, we don't yet know who Messiah is going to be. We can kind of build a picture and begin to get some understanding that Messiah will one day come to the earth. But we don't know who he's going to be. We don't know exactly what it's going to accomplish. And so we see these examples in the Old Testament that point us to Jesus. Joseph is one of those examples. Joseph is a type of Christ. And so the life that he leads and the way that he conducts himself and the way that the Lord uses him, even in difficult circumstances, is a picture for us of who Christ will one day become. So Joseph is an important guy. His story is fascinating. And it contains great truths that I think we can live by. So let's begin now as we continue to walk through the book of Genesis. Our study in the latter part of the book of the story of Joseph. Genesis chapter 37, beginning of verse 1. We had it on the screen for you to follow along. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. Remember, Jacob had left the promised land. He lived with Laban. We remember the difficulties he faced. He came home. He's back in the promised land. This, in verse 2, is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers. 
the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made him an ornate robe for him. Now let's pause for a second. There's a couple of things about Joseph I want you to see just initially. First of all, Joseph is still a very young man. He's 17 at this point. Not only is he a young man, but he's a young man we see in these verses is a, that he's going to work with his brothers. He's going to tend the flocks of his fathers. But when he does these things and he hangs out with his brothers and he tends the flock, he's going to bring a bad report back about his brothers. That's what the Bible says. It says in verse 2 that he brought his father a bad report about them. So, so let's just understand kind of in, in modern terms. This is a young kid, the youngest brother, who's a tattletale, right? Now, we all love those kind of people, don't we? Isn't that your favorite kind of person? Younger than you, maybe in your family, and likes to tattle and everything. This is Joseph. This is who he is. On top of the fact that he's the youngest, on top of the fact that he's tattling on his brothers, he's dad's favorite. So he's got some strikes against him. And dad wants to make it abundantly clear that he's his favorite, and so he makes him this ornate robe. We used to call it the coat of many colors. Remember that when we were growing up? We used to draw the pictures of the coat. This is a young boy, tattletale, the favorite of his dad, and everybody knows it. Because of that, let's see how his brothers respond. Look at verse 4. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they, this is a big word, hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So Joseph had a dream, verse 5. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Verse 8, and his brothers said to him, and I'm sure they didn't say it quite this nicely, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Verse 11. His brothers were jealous of him. That's important. That's kind of a clue into their heart. But his father kept the matter in mind. Let's pause for a second and remember. God had spoken to Jacob. This is daddy. In Genesis chapter 28. Remember the story of the ladder? The Bible says the angels were ascending and descending and God the father was standing at the top. So Jacob remembers the time where the Lord spoke to him in a dream. And even though he's not happy about the dream that his son Joseph had, he keeps these things in mind. Now let's review where we are just very quickly. A young man who tattletales on his brothers. He's his dad's favorite. Daddy makes him a robe so everybody knows that he's his favorite. His brothers already dislike him. And then he begins to have these dreams. And when he begins to have these dreams and he begins to reveal these plans to his brother and to his mother and to his father, the Bible tells us very clearly that his brothers hated him all the more. This is a kid that's disliked. 
Now here's truth number one. We're going to apply this now to our lives. When we dream big dreams for God, many people won't understand. Let me say that again. When we dream big dreams for God, there are going to be plenty of people that don't understand. Now, Joseph is just a young man. He's the favored son of his father. The brothers already don't like him. And now he's going to come with this idea of a dream. Now, here's what we need to understand. Some of you are probably thinking, well, this is just a dream this kid had. What does this have to do with the Lord? Adam, help me connect the dots here, right? This is a kid that the, the brothers don't like, favorite of the daddy. They're already hating him, the robe, all the stuff that they dislike this kid. Then he comes and he tells them that he's having this dream. It's just a prideful dream, you're thinking. This is just some kid that wants to kind of be in charge of his brothers. He's the youngest of the bunch, and he wants to kind of tell them he's the boss. And we've all been there, done that. We, we know this story. But here's what you need to understand. This is important. I want to fast forward to the end. It'll help you understand where we're going. What we're going to see as we study through these chapters over the next few weeks, not only was this vision from the Lord, not only did this vision come true, but God used Joseph in bigger ways than he ever thought possible. If you don't understand the story of Joseph, we're going to get there. But here's what you need to understand. God did incredible things through this young man. But here's the problem. When God first gave him this vision, it scared the people around him to death. They were jealous. You really think that's going to happen, Joseph? <laughs> you, you really think we're going to bow down to you? You really think you're going you're gonna to rule over us? Here, here's the truth. We all need to kind of wrap our arms around scripturally. God, you think about Joseph and all that God did through Joseph. God wants to do incredible things through you. Did you know that? Did you know God has plans for your life? God wants to do incredible things in your life, but here's the problem. Here, here, here's the problem for the vast majority of us. God wants to do great things in our life, but we're not very good at dreaming big things for the Lord. Let's do an exercise to validate that point. You think for just a second in your own mind. Don't write it down or say it out loud. What's the last big thing you thought you could accomplish for the Lord? What's the last big dream you had from the Lord? What's the last time you had a thought that I want to do this for God, but that's huge. I'm not sure I can accomplish that, Lord. That's bigger than I am. How am I actually going to make this happen? Now, here's what we're good at, right? We're, we're good at dreaming things about our careers. We have those dreams, don't we? Envisions, plans. We have a dream for our jobs and our careers. We, we have a dream for our children, we have a dream for our future. I can prove it to you. We can go around the room. We can all talk about our dream home, can't we? Or our dream car. Or our dream vacation. Or our dream job. Or on and on the list goes. Right? We, we all dream about these sorts of things. But rarely do we dream big things for God. Now some of you need to hear that. Because for some of you, this is the first time you've actually considered dreaming big things for the Lord. For some of you, this is the first time you've even thought about this. Wow, you're right. I've, I've, I've got dreams for the career and the job and the house and my kids. And I've got all these kind of dreams. But what am I dreaming for the Lord? What does the Lord want to do through me? 
You know, we live in a world of dreamers, don't we? I was researching this week and kind of preparing for this sermon, and I started reading a little bit about Walt Disney. Now, you probably have a list of things you don't like about Walt Disney, things he didn't do well or you don't agree with him. But one thing you can say for certain about this man, he had big dreams. And we kind of know the end of the story about Walt Disney, but here's what you probably don't know. He was born into poverty. Did you know that? Didn't accomplish a whole lot as a young man. Started a business. It failed. Went into bankruptcy. Did you know that about Walt Disney? And in the middle of his despair, in the middle of all the things that he was battling against, in the middle of kind of his failure in life, he drew this silly little picture of a mouse. Isn't that interesting? And people around him said, that's ridiculous. You know that, right? I mean, this is a mouse. People want to kill a mouse. They don't want to put a mouse on a t-shirt, on a hat. They don't want to go to a theme park that's about a mouse. This is a dumb dream. But this man continued to pursue this dream. He continued to do all the things he needed to do to make it happen. And today, he created probably the most recognized brand in the world. One of the most. But just imagine if he'd listened to the people around him. Bring that first point back up. Imagine if he had thought about all the people around him that didn't understand his dream. Imagine if he had listened to the, to the naysayers. Imagine if Steve Jobs of Apple hadn't dreamed big. Imagine if he'd listened to the people around him. Imagine if Sam Walton hadn't dreamed big. Imagine if all these entrepreneurs and all these leaders in our world, all through our history, imagine if those people had not dreamed big. We understand big dreamers. We understand big dreams. We just don't dream very big for the Lord. And so I wrote this question down in my notes. I started asking myself this question. Lord, what do you want to do in my life that would be impossible without your supernatural power? That's a good question to ask. Lord, what do you want to do in my life that would be impossible if you didn't show up and make it happen? Some of you say, you know, I've, I've thought some things before the Lord. I have, you're right. Now that you bring that up, I've, I've, I've had some thoughts. Maybe the Lord wants to use me to do this or accomplish this. And I've often wondered and kind of worried, Lord, th- those are just too big. <laughs> those are just too big. I, I, don't, I don't think, Lord, you can actually accomplish those things in my life. Let me remind you of Matthew 19, 26. Christ says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, what does he say? All things are possible. Here's the truth. If you're taking notes, write this down. No dream is too large for the Lord. Nothing is above his pay grade. He could accomplish all things, and he wants to do it through us. So we continue. Joseph's dad is going to send him to find his brothers. We pick up in verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and he found them near Dothan. Now he's wandered around for a few verses, 12, 13, 14. He's not sure where they are. He finds them. Verse 18, I want you to notice what the brothers say here. But they saw him in the distance. You know how they saw him? You want to guess? His coat. Oh, there he is. Yeah, that's him. There he comes, right? Before he reached them, and look what they did. They plotted to kill him. Now, remember, all the reasons they hate him, he's young, he's loved by, dad, by his daddy, he's given him the coat, all the things of life he wants, they, they hate him for all these reasons, but look at the main thing they're focusing on now in verse 19. Here comes the dreamer. See, big dreams scare people. People don't understand big dreams. Here comes the dreamer, they say. 
Come now, verse 20, let's kill him. Throw him into one of the cisterns, right? This is just a big open, kind of a, 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 an old well that the water had dried up. And say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, there's, there's somebody in the bunch that at least thinking. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and then take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of the robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. Remember, they want to remove that idea of the, the favor of the father. So they tear off the robe. They took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 25. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. Remember Ishmael, the first son of Abraham? Not the promised son, but the first son. Caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. So Judah, now this is, this is the line of Christ here. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. This is the lion of Judah. If we follow the line of Messiah, this comes through Judah. Judah said to his brothers... What will we gain if we kill our brother, cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, he is our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agree. Now watch this. Because God-sized dreams scare people, because the brothers were scared and they were jealous and they hated their brother Joseph, truth number two. When we dream big dreams for God, our circumstances may become difficult. Not only are we going to find people in our lives that don't understand the dream, but oftentimes the circumstances in our life, if we're not careful, will keep us from realizing those dreams. One writer said it like this, God's dreams disrupt the way things are. God's dreams threaten the status quo, the normal order of life. Dreaming God's dreams might get you into trouble. If your dream just confirms what already is, rubber stamping the norm, it's not God's dream. Because God inverts our human way of doing things, flipping life on its head. The last shall be first. The least are the greatest. The weak are the strong, the foolish are the wise. To go up, you go down. To have life, you have to die. See, what Joseph was doing here is he was threatening the status quo. He was kind of flipping everything on its head. I am the youngest, but one day I will rule you. And because of what he said to his brothers, because of the hatred that they have for him, I want you to begin to notice the difficulties that he faces in his life. There are kind of three areas, and I think these are fascinating because not only do they tell us what Joseph is going through physically, but they kind of help us understand the progression of our dreams. Here's the first circumstance that made the dream of Joseph difficult to follow. First, he was threatened with death. Right? His brothers say, Look, here he comes. We hate him. Let's kill him. We'll take that coat, we'll dip in blood, we'll give it to everybody and say an animal murdered him. It's interesting to me because if we're not careful when we begin to think about dreams, 
when we begin to think about God's vision in our life and the big things that God wants us to accomplish and accomplishing incredible things through his power and his might, if we're not careful, what begins to happen with the enemy is the enemy is going to do everything he can to kill that dream. You understand that? Just like they tried to kill Joseph. Right, we'll kill Joseph, they said, and they say, then what's going to come of that dream? Bring up verse 20 for me if you would. Come now, let's kill him, throw him in one of the cisterns and say that an animal devour him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams, right? They thought they could kill him and kill the dream. And here's the truth you need to understand. It's very easy for us, especially in the early stages of, of God kind of revealing to us and giving us the plan and us following him. It's very easy for the enemy to come in and steal that dream away from us and kill the dream. And the devil says something like this, oh, there's no possible way that can really happen. You know that, right? You're lying to yourself. There's, there's no possible way you can accomplish these things. And, and if we're not careful, the enemy in our lives will take that dream or that vision the Lord has given us, that God-sized dream that only God could accomplish. If we're not careful, the enemy will take that, steal that from us, and kill the dream. They tried to kill Joseph. It didn't work. Here's the second thing they did. They dumped him into the pit. Okay, if we can't kill him, let's just throw him in this pit. Let's get rid of him for a little while. Here's the second thing the enemy does. If the enemy can't kill your dream, which is what he wants to do, he's going to dump you in a pit where you think you can't actually make the dream happen. He's going to put you in a place of despair. You're going to say, yeah, the Lord could do the dream, but I know I can't accomplish it. I'm not good enough. Seriously, Lord, look at me. Here I am in the pit. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough education. People don't listen to me when I talk. There's nothing I've got, Lord, that's going to allow this dream to happen. If we're not careful, the enemy's going to take us like they took Joseph. He's going to throw you in the pit so the dream can't happen. He's going to kill the dream if he can't kill the dream like they couldn't kill Joseph. He's going to throw you in a pit so you can't make the dream happen. Here's the third thing. Joseph was sold into slavery. See, here's what the enemy does, right? If he can't kill the dream which he's going to try to do. He's going to throw you into the pit and make you despair and think the dream's not possible. If he can't throw you in the pit and kill the dream and make the dream seem unworkable or impossible in your life, then the third thing he's going to do, he's going to put you into slavery of the things of the world. Do you understand that? He's going to say, you know what? I know God gave you this big dream. And I know God wants to accomplish great things to you. But look at all the stuff of the world. It's enticing. Yeah, the God-sized dream is pretty interesting. But you know, if God wants it to happen, he'll make it happen, right? He's God. Let him do that. You worry about what you need to worry about in your life. Look at all this stuff you can have. Look at how you need to work towards your career. You know, don't worry about God's dreams. Think about the, the dream of your career, right? You've had that your whole life. Think about the dream of what you want to accomplish. Think about that dream home, Adam. Don't worry about God-sized dreams. God can handle his own world. He can handle his own stuff. You worry about yourself. Think about that dream vacation or that dream job or on and on the list. goes right. The, the devil will ensnare us, won't he? If he can't kill the dream, he's going to throw the dream in the pit. If he can't throw the dream in the pit, he's going to surround us with things that will enslave us to the world and we're never going to accomplish the dream. See, the last thing the enemy wants when God gives us this big-sized dream is for us to accomplish it. Far too many believers get caught up in these lies. Far too many believers allow their dream to be killed or thrown in the pit or tangled up in the things of the world. 
God wants to accomplish all these things through us. And yet because of our own failures, we don't let it happen. Many of you have seen the Sherwood movies, the courageous movies, Facing the Giant, Fireproof. You know the movies, right? You may not know the story behind the movie. Some of you probably have the Kendrick brothers that were at Sherwood Baptist Church down in Albany. These two brothers, they're just on staff at this church in Albany, Georgia. They had a dream of making movies. And so many years ago, they went to their pastor and they said, look, we have these, this dream of, of making kind of full-length cinematic movies and we think we can reach the world for Christ right here from Albany, Georgia and we're going to do it through movies. And the pastor said, well, what do you need? And they said, well, we need a lot of volunteers and we need about $20,000. And the pastor said, well, you know, we don't have that in the budget, but I'll pray with you. Let's pray together. Let's see if we can raise that $20,000. let us see if we can raise enough volunteers to make these movies. And so the very first movie they made was Flywheel. How many have seen Flywheel? A few of you. How many of you saw it, you went back and watched it because you'd seen the others? Several of you. Now, Flywheel's okay, but it didn't get a lot of critical acclaim, and not a lot came from it, you know, and I could just imagine the people in their little world thinking, you know, good try, guys, man, you gave it your best. You know, not a bad attempt for the first time, and that was a nice thing. Let's move on to something else. What else does the Lord want you to do? Because obviously it's not make movies, Right? I just, I just wonder about the naysayers, the, the people in their lives that made that dream very difficult to realize. The circumstances, right? No money, no equipment, no real actors. They don't have real actors. Kirk Cameron was really the only one that was the real actor. Everybody else was just part of the church or in the community. I wonder how many of the circumstances kind of deterred them from their vision. But you know what they kept doing? They kept seeking the Lord. This is what God's called us to do, they would say. This is a big dream for us, and it doesn't make any sense in our little world, and the people around us don't necessarily understand, and the circumstances are difficult, but we're going to keep on keeping on. So we're not just going to make flywheel, now we're going to make facing the giants, and we saw that, didn't we? A pretty good movie. And then Fireproof came along, and then Courageous came along. Those, those movies making 30 and $40 million a movie. Now, for an independent church making a movie, that's a lot of money. One of the largest independent films ever made. In fact, when Courageous came out on DVD, it was the number one selling DVD in the country. But if those guys had listened to the people around them or or taken a real look at their circumstances, they probably would have doubted that dream God had given them. Who knows where they would be now? So I just ask you the question, what dream has God given you? What dream are you afraid to pursue? What dream is the enemy trying to kill or throw in a pit or ensnare you into slavery so you don't follow that dream? What does God want to do through your life? Now let's finish, verse 28. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern, sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes, the sign of mourning, went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't here, where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this, examined it to see whether it's your son. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him. 
But he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Now, just a side note very quickly. The same men that threw their brother in the well, that sold him into slavery, that thought about killing him, that took his robe, tore it, dipped it in blood, gave it to the father, lied about his death, now comfort the very man who thinks he's lost his son. There's, there's wickedness there in there. Now, here's another side note. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. Be comforted sometimes in the mistakes that you make. God used these men to reach a nation, even in their sinfulness. Verse 36, and this is the the, the most fascinating part of this chapter. Of all the terrible things that have happened, look at the first word there, meanwhile. (laughs) The Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar. One of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. See, God's got his hands on Joseph. All the terrible things he's been through, God has got his hands on him. It leads us to truth number three. When we dream big dreams for God, he can accomplish great things through us. When we dream big dreams for God, he can accomplish great things through us. But, but here's the catch. It's never going to be easy. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. But we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Some of you are thinking, you know what, I've got these dreams, you're right, I've thought about these things. But I'm I'm just in this place right now that I'm not quite even sure what's going to happen tomorrow I'm certainly not sure about next week. And this idea of having God-sized dreams kind of scares me to death. I'm not quite sure I can do it. Here's a truth you need to understand. This is very important. God is not nearly as interested in where you are as where you're going to go through his power. You understand that? God says, you may be in the pit right now. You may be mired up in slavery. This dream may have died in your heart, but if you'll just trust me and follow me, I'll use you to accomplish great things. John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. I want to read an excerpt from it as I finish up this morning. He said, in April of 2000, Ruby Ellison and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon, West Africa. Ruby was over 80, 80 years old. Single all her life, she poured it out for one great thing. To make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor pushing 80 years old and serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes failed, the car went over the cliff, and they were both killed Instantly, And so he asked this question, was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by one great passion, namely to be spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ. Two decades after most of their American counterparts had retired, no, that's not a tragedy, that's a glory. These lives were not wasted. These lives were not lost. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Mark chapter 8. He goes on to tell another story. 
story of a couple who took early retirement. He was 51, and he was 59, and she was 51. Now they live in Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. Here are his words. Tragically, this is the American dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your creator, be this, playing softball and collecting shells. Maybe our dreams aren't big enough. Maybe we've bought into the lies of the world. Maybe we need to take a step back and ask this question. Father, what incredible things do you want to do through me? Because we've got a couple of very simple choices. We can live for our own enjoyment. We can live for our own pleasure. Or we can dream big and live our lives for the glory of our King. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the story of Joseph for all he sacrificed, for all he gave, for all he did. Father, we thank you that he understood the dreams that you placed in his heart and followed you, Lord, with integrity, with faithfulness. It was never easy. It probably didn't go according to his plan, Father, but you used him to do great things. Lord, I pray you would just help us to understand how to live our lives for you. I pray you'd help us to live big dreams, God-sized dreams, things that only you can accomplish through us. And Father, we're going to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're, we're a little late on time, but that's okay today because I want you to do something this time during our offering. I want you to think about God-sized dreams in your life. What has the enemy stolen from you? What, where has he thrown you into the pit? What's he ensnared you with to keep you from dreaming those dreams of the Lord? And I want you to seek the Lord right now during this time of invitation, asking him what big dreams he'd have for you life, for your life to accomplish. Let's pray together as we sing. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.